many times Jesus, when he tells stories, he's, per, he's piercing through all of these outward ways that we show our competence, and he's trying to get to our heart. Anyway, hey, grab your Bible. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 10, page 862 uh, together. Uh, we're going to be walking through uh, a, a series called Hide and Seek. We're, uh, the next few weeks, we're going to be talking through some different pieces of, uh, of our journey together. Here, here's the, the overarching reality is that Jesus wants you to live a, a great story. His announcement to you is that you can live a whole new way of life right here in the midst of this one, uh, regardless of where you've been or where you're going. He wants you to live the life that you were meant to live. And so uh, we're really looking forward to some of the, looking forward to, to talking through some of the ways that uh, that can happen. But as you're turning there, um, I just want to let you know, coming up in March, the end of March, beginning of April, there are some, uh, some prayer gatherings called Refresh Nights uh, that we're going to be having. And man, I would love if you could plan on being here uh, for these nights or for one of them or three of them, wherever the case is, we are going to have kids' environments for, you, for your kids. And so, man, we'd love for you to just mark down the next three, these three dates. And we even have a worship night coming up in the, in the midst of our Easter week. Uh, and so as we kind of roll down the hill into spring and the Easter and all the fun stuff, we would love for you to be together. This, this is the time that we're together to pray, to kind of just declare that, that God is, is the, the senior pastor of our church. He's the one that's making all of this stuff happen that's happening within our church, changing hearts, changing lives seeing people and places changed. And so we, we just like to spend some time together in the season declaring that. And so, man, we'd love for you to make a, a note of those uh, nights. All right? So here we go. Um, so yeah, the truth is that Jesus wants you to live an incredible story. And, and, uh, but for, for many of us, we have gaps between where we are and where we want to be. It's a very you know, just strong reality of our life. We find ourselves wanting to move forward, uh, but we have some gaps that stop us from moving forward. We try to fill those gaps with all sorts of different uh, uh, things and strategies that help us keep moving forward to, to, to really feeling this life and fueling this life that God would have us live. And so this series, we're really going to be looking at some of the forces that, that we put in those gaps that really aren't the, the ways that Jesus had in mind for you to move forward. Uh, in, in fact, many times we put things in these gaps, we, we put these different forces in these gaps, but really what they do is, is they don't make us move forward. They actually uh, stop us from moving forward. They, they, they heap some more shame on us, and it's really hard to kind of see the, the, the picture that God had in mind for us. And so we're going to be, as we move through that, we're going to be interacting with that. The thing that really, that is causing all of this to happen is what the scriptures call sin. Sin is the separation from God. It's a very simple definition of what sin is. Sin is our separation from God. And sin is either done by you or done to you. And you feel the effects of the brokenness that sin creates, uh, either by participating in it actively, or you have received over the course of your life the results of sin. Many times, uh, we, in both directions, we just feel the coat, like the weight of shame as a result. And we're trying to come out of hiding. We're trying to break free from it. And really, the main way that Jesus would have you come out of hiding is by trusting 
in Jesus and having him heal you and put you back together and engage in it. Uh, how many know we're, we're all kind of poking around for the best strategies of living life? And, and, but Jesus would say, hey, if you would follow me, if you'd become a follower of me, I can help put all of those pieces together. I can kind of tie those loose ends together. I can heal you in places that you're wounded and I can help you take a next step in places that you feel like you need to move forward. And, but really, it, you're living the life that he planned for you to live. And so one of those forces that we're going to talk about this week, we're going to hit one each week, one of the major forces that we see in America, especially in the Christian church in America, is the idea of competition. And competition surfaces when winning controls us. Competition in our, in our life really surfaces when winning controls us. And here's why this is, such, this is present in the church as much as it is in politics, as much as it is in business. Because in America, what we, what we do all the time is we, we subscribe winning and we subscribe success to outward strength. And, and when we see people winning, we think of them as maturity, as maturing. We think of them as like the, the success symbol of really who you want to be like. And that's because of the script that, that America was really written with. It was that you can come here no matter where you're from and you can work hard and you can succeed and you can end up living the dream, the dream life that you wanted to live. That's, that's what our country was founded on. So many times in the church world, we look at people with all of these outward strengths and we label them spiritually mature. And we say, well, those are the people we want to be like. And many times Jesus, when he tells stories, he's, per, he's piercing through all of these outward ways that we show our competence, and he's trying to get to our heart. And it's really kind of hard as Western Americans to be like, wait, 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 that's not how I'm fashioned. That's not how I'm wired. That's not how I see or interact with things. And so you're, you're really kind of flipping this whole thing upside down for me. And so we're really challenged by the teachings of Jesus to have a, an authentic experience of relationship with him so that we can have true spiritual maturity and have it all be built on uh, the foundation of Jesus, but for, for us, many times winning controls control. C competition comes out in many ways. It can look like a trophy uh, it, for some of us who are into sports. And uh, it, when when you have a Boston sports city like we do, my word, like we love that stuff. Um, uh, but it can it can also look low, like vying for attention. If, if you are constantly doing things that are kind of pulling the conversation back towards you, or if you are show, trying, to, trying to move into communities or into groups of people, that, and, you're, and you're trying to get the, like the, the, the attention of different folks or whatever, and you, you try, like to make your presence known in different ways, there's, there's many times a competitive spirit behind that. Um, th th that's why we talk about, we try to have healthy competition, right? We try to put this into a box of like, well, you can be, you know, it's like some healthy competition, it's good. Uh, but many times that when, when it's a, a spirit inside of us that is saying, hey man, we need to really feel competent, we need to express our adequacy, we are not deficient people. Many times instead of trusting on Jesus, we actually try to compete and move ourselves forward uh, and move ourselves ahead by our own strength and power. 
And so Jesus actually tells a story about this uh, in, in Luke chapter 10, where he talks about the disciples that he's about to send out into ministry. And, he, and, and Jesus had a really uh, unique way of, of looking at the world, obviously. And we're trying to learn that as Jesus followers and live the way that he outlined for us. Uh, but today I want to talk through the cure for competition. What is the cure uh, that w- will help us heal from really having this super competitive mindset? And so in the Bible, uh, we're going to look at this story. But the first cure for competition that we can heal from and, and kind of begin to trust in Christ instead of hiding, in our own, hiding our own inadequacy, the first one is through anonymity. Um, the first cure is through anonymity. Look at verse 1. It says this, The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. Now, we're going to stop there. And you're like, really? It's a snow day. Can you please keep reading? We need to get out of here, right? But, but here's the anonymity is number one. Jesus had an incredibly healthy community around him. Um, sometimes we forget this as we're studying the New Testament. But look at all the ways that, that, that when you break down Jesus' community, you can see it broken down this way. If you go to the next slide, um, Audrey. The first one is he had a, a very healthy individual community with himself and with his Father in heaven. Um, he had this really close, intimate connection with God. He also had intimate friends. Um, if you see, Peter, James, and John are, are always with him in some of the most intimate stories um, that, that you see and read about in the scriptures. Um, there's also personal, there's very personal interactions as well. They're not as close as the intimate, but there's personal. Um, and these are named disciples. These are like the other, they're the Bartholomews and the, and the Thomases and the Andrews. The other 12 disciples that are, uh, all the 12 disciples, very intimate, uh, very personal connections for Jesus. And then there are 72 unnamed disciples. We forget about that, that Jesus had a pretty large set of disciples. We, re, we talk about 12 all the time, but he had 72 others. Um, and then you often see him off in public gatherings as well, where there's crowds of people always want, uh, gathering around the name of Jesus and gathering around his teachings. And so we, for us to have healthy community, we need to you know, emulate the same type of breakdown. But this group of 72 is where we're at. And what was so unique about the 72, it, it was the symbol or the amount of believed nations in the world at the time. And so at that time, in the first century, they believed that there were 72 people groups, 72 nations, 72 different like, areas that, that, that needed to be ministered to. And so Jesus sending out 72 was a symbol of them going to all the world. But these guys are never named. They're never named. Do you think like when you're, with these 72, they're kind of looking at the 12. If, if I know them because I know me and I'm a human and they were probably humans, we can probably agree on that. Um, they probably were like, man, well, what about the 12? Do you think they had any sense of competitiveness there? Like what if they had ministry aspirations the same way that the 12 did, right? And they, they, but you see them, they are never named, and one of the ways that we can cure, uh, the, the way that Jesus cures our own competitiveness is when we rest not in our name, but in his name. Colossians 3 says it this way, um, if you see the next slide. When, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What if no one ever knew your name, but they only knew Jesus' name for the rest of your life? I'm a competitive guy, and that messes me up. So I'm like, no, no, no. I want them to know Brandon did this. I want them to know. This. There's, a, there's a moment when I was uh, 12 years old, 
Um, and I was a, a soccer player a lot growing up, and, and uh, we had this moment where, uh, this is not my finest moment in the world ever, but, but I loved playing, and, and there were different, I had different success, succeeding years and different things happening, but there's one specific game that happened. We had one of our family friends came up to me and said, Brandon, you did a really awesome job today, and, and in all of my humility, I said the phrase, I know. <laughs> my dad's doing sound today. You can confirm the story. He was not super proud of me at that moment. I can guarantee you that. He was like, we need to deal with this. Um, and you, you need to go apologize to that guy immediately. But, but this is the, the sense of competitiveness in me was like, no, I know. I know if there's ever a, a more pure moment of my fallacy and sin at that moment, right? But there's this moment, there's this, this kind of challenge, like, like these guys were very, these guys walked with Jesus his entire ministry, and they were never named. You know, Jesus himself, he was about 33 years old. Uh, when he died, he had 33 years of, of life. He only, we only talk about three of those years. 90% of Jesus's life was lived in relative obscurity. And we spend most of ours, we probably flip that around. We say, okay, we're done. We're 18, then we're done. We want to now make a name for ourselves. But what Paul is challenging us here is do it in the name of Jesus. Matthew 6, Jesus' main sermon, he says it this way, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. If you want to cure competitiveness, if you want to cure and have a true sense of spiritual maturity, can you serve? Can you give? Can you do the things you do in the world without anyone ever knowing your name? We can see anonymity beginning to heal our vying for attention and our glory going to ourselves, but back up to God. Incredible way this story breaks it down. After this, Jesus begins to give instructions. We don't have the time to break down every instruction here, um, but verses two through sixteen in this story, Jesus begins to instruct the proper way to serve for these disciples. So not only can anonymity cure you, but proper serving can as. Well, Jesus begins to tell them um, there's all sorts of different ways that you can engage with this, but really serving is crucial, right? This is what I love about Jesus is he's always going to show you what to do with power. When instead of power, powering up in moments where you are engaging with the world, he's gonna show you a very different way. And he shows it in John 13, where he says, Jesus knew that the Father had given authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. If you would have put that power into a human, they would take it in all sorts of different ways. But what did Jesus do? He got up from the table. He took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. And he began to wash their feet. Of the disciples. Jesus knew in this moment that he was literally sick. Like he was, I mean, he was literally divine. He knew in this moment who he was in this total interaction. And he modeled for us what to do when you have power, when you have any sort of authority, when you have any sort of moment. You have a pure heart when you serve. And so he gives us these instructions for serving. You can break them down this week. This would be a good Bible study for you. But he says, have focus. He tells them what to do. He says, I, I want you to do this when you go to these cities and towns. 
He said, I want you to, to free people from, uh, it was a very, ex- they, had, they were trained in exorcism. They wanted to free them from powers of, of demons. I just pray that, that that's an, a, a story uh, that we can learn from. That's, it's a, to have focus when you're, in, when you're serving. Be courteous. He says, some people aren't always going to engage with what you have. And so I want you to kick off the dust from your shoes. I want, I want you to stay at a house, multi, stay at the house that you stay in create boundaries. He's saying, some, you know, sometimes it's not going to work always so well. And they're not going to accept it. But I want you to realize, hey, it's not you. It's not you. It's them. I want you to kick off the dust from your shoes. He says, I want you to remember the authority that, that you have. When you do things on my behalf, it's like you're doing them in my name. So we have some helpful instructions for serving. For us as a church, um, we carry this out in two different ways. We have people and places. Our mission is to see people and places changed by Christ. It's not just people because people live in places, and it's not just places because places have people in them. And so for us, we want to see both people and places changed by Christ. And so one of the instructions for us in serving this year is going to be through praying for one. Um, and so we, we really want to participate, get outside of who we are, and really desire other people to meet Jesus. We can agree on that today, can we? Right? In Rehoboth, like we want people, even in the woods, people can meet Jesus. Praise the Lord. Come on. And, and so you have this on your, on your chair today. Um, if you're online, you can definitely grab one of these when, when you're here or you can uh, send one in for an email. We can get some to you. But, but here's the thing. We have these here because we want to give you an understanding about what's coming up and all the things that we do. Everything we do here is to help people take a step towards Jesus. So we want to just have a ton of fun celebrating Easter by helping people understand that. That's why we put the Pray for One table in the lobby. This isn't just an Easter thing. It's a church thing. It's not just an Easter thing. It's a church thing. And so you want to pray, who are the people um, that need to meet Jesus this year? People in your life, your friends, your family. In, 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 the, in, in New England, we do this really fun thing where we have our church friends our work friends, our school friends, and our neighborhood friends. And we have multiple different sectors, but have you ever thrown a party for a middle schooler and brought all of those sectors together? It's amazingly awkward. (laughs) It's like, whoa, I got my church friends. And you can see the dynamic pulled together, but I believe that in order to see Jesus begin to, to make shape of our life, we have to begin to break down those barriers. And allow your work friends to actually meet your church friends and allow your neighborhood friends to actually meet your other friends and, and, and throw those communities together so that you can begin to see Jesus do some work. And so many times it's very, you say, oh, that's my church group. I, I hang out with my church group. But in order to see Jesus do some work, it's very helpful to invite them into a cam- community of people that care for them the same way you would. And so breaking down the walls of those different areas in your life would be so helpful to begin doing that. So who are the people in your life, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, that need to take a step towards Christ and you can begin serving that way. Um, also, we, we have places as well. And we, do, uh, we, we serve and minister in three different regions. We have Southern New England. We also have uh, our involvement in Haiti. And we also do a bunch of work in Liberia. And uh, our, our pretty, uh, one of our elders, Scott, has been... Uh, really leading the charge when it comes to our work in Haiti. And he's going to share today um, some, a, a, a cool project um, that he has been invi- involved in and, and wants us to help uh, pursue in that. And so Scott's going to come up and, uh, and talk through 
um, a, a project that we are going to have an, uh, 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 an opportunity to engage in. We're going to celebrate Easter this way. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, so, yeah. So for some people who are perhaps newer to the church or might not be aware of some of the historical involvement that we've had with uh, Haiti, uh, it really that journey for us, for this church, for me, uh, started about 14 years ago uh, when uh, we had Bono uh, speaking through the GLS and he was calling the church out on being absent on HIV, AIDS, and extreme poverty. And uh, so out of that, I remember Ron and Den and I in the back of the sanctuary, you know, prayed that God would show us how to be engaged in this, and uh, life was forever changed. Um, so the, our first project, just to, as, as a way, a little bit of background, was to bring the uh, international version of the uh, Global Leadership Summit to Haiti, which we, we did, and it continues to run to this day under complete Haitian uh, leadership, which is exciting. Uh, and in our very first uh, trip, we met this really impressive individual, Pierre Leger, who is uh, a large uh, business leader and has a huge heart for the people of Haiti. And uh, we began a, a process of learning about uh, extreme poverty and uh, the systemic nature of it and sort of Pierre's vision for how to try and uh, break that system. Uh, so we, you know, sort of continued to build a relationship. Uh, 2010, the earthquake, uh, a couple hundred thousand people died in an instant with uh, just a huge earthquake. So the church was very much involved with that uh, in various earthquake relief and running re relief flights down there. Uh, and so, you know, from there we started to pivot, you know, again, in this relationship and dialogue with Pierre, learning about different ex um, development efforts. Uh, Pierre's big passion is what he calls business for development, because he uh, is not interested in, uh, in charity. He's not interested in handouts. He's interested in hand-ups. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the things we've heard in the GLS is trade, not aid. Some of the people, leaders from Africa, trying to deal with some of the same issues that Haiti is. So, um, so really, I've been spending a lot of time, we've been spending a lot of our time in the various projects that we've been working on is to help expand Haitian businesses, make uh, Haitian leaders who are already there, it's their country, their situation to help make them more, uh, uh, make them grow and stronger and be to the extent that they can, if, if we can help them in any way, double the size of their business and employ more people, that is a sustainable long-term solution to the issues of extreme poverty. Uh, so uh, we've been helping in, uh, the, in, in Pierre's vetiver business. We've been helping uh, on a lime initiative, lime tree initiative. Uh, more recently, we've been expanding that into cocoa uh, for chocolate production. And uh, last January, uh, Richard Sadie, uh, who is spearheading the project in Liberia, had the opportunity to come with me and uh, learn from Professor Pierre, uh, who, you know, just because he has such a knowledge and, and with, um, with Richard's desire to set up the school uh, in Liberia for training people, it's very much aligned with Pierre's thinking. And so I'm like, we've got to get these two guys together and it was a it was a miraculous time seeing these two guys talk together and Pierre being able to give Richard the insights about how to try and proceed on that 
But one of the other aspects of this trip, on the last trip, is we got to go visit uh, a secondary school. So this is, uh, in essence, kind of like, I think what we would sort of call junior high high here. And this is in Lakai, so it's the public school in the third largest city uh, of Haiti. And they had an interest in trying to establish uh, a meaningful computer program. And so I was sort of talking with the school administrator, oh, well tell me, like what is, you know, what's it look like now? And he said, well, somebody comes Saturday mornings with one laptop. Okay. Uh, there was some opportunity to improve that. So, um, so we committed to do sort of a first trial uh, of setting up a, uh, a computer lab with 20 laptop computers. Now, one of the challenges with everything in Haiti, if you're running a business, you are underwater from the beginning because there is no reliable electricity, no reliable fresh water, there's no, you know, great infrastructure. You know, there are riots. Uh, I don't know if people have been watching the news, but Haiti has not been super calm recently. There's, you know, all these concerns and scandals, calls for the president to resign. And, and so you're starting at minus 50 right from the get-go. So in order to execute uh, this computer lab project, the first thing we have to do is solve the power problem. So we did a well for the... Uh, the Lime Grove project uh, a couple of years ago. So I started getting my feet wet in solar. And so basically what we're working on doing is we're gonna be bringing down uh, six solar panels, a charge controller that's going to take the solar power and convert it into DC current uh, and, and uh, in, a, in a manner that the batteries can take it. Uh, then we're gonna have uh, eight of these deep cycle batteries that are quite large. Uh, to store the power, then there's going to need to be an inverter to change the DC current into AC current, and then the the laptops themselves. Which oh yeah, we had that. That was the that was the ultimate project, but we had to do all of those other elements before that. So, uh, you know, I, I sort of brought this opportunity. From time to time, people will have reached out to me and to the church more broadly to say, oh, is there any way that, that I could get engaged in, in some way? And, and some people have come down with me periodically uh, to Haiti, and so that's, that's one way people have engaged. Uh, another way is, is financial contributions over the years, uh, you know, with our tent drive and, and all of those various things that we've done for Haiti. This is an, an opportunity, I think, to have a huge impact on the young people coming up in Haiti, growing up in the south of Haiti. And, uh, and so the, the laptop computers that we're working with are actually a partnership that we've sort of formed with a group that uh, in the US, and what they do is they uh, get uh, used laptops from corporations and one thing or another, and they wipe them clean, put on Ubuntu, which is a Linux operating system, which is a little bit more stable and more reliable. Uh, especially in these types of environments than Windows. They have the basic you know, Word-esque and Excel-esque and that sort of thing, but they also have uh, a, a math, science, and geography learning pack. They have an offline version of Wikipedia, and they also, one of the things I was really, I didn't even know this was on there until I was like browsing through it, they actually have a whole section of uh, Khan, Khan Academy in French uh, so the videos on how to do basic, you know, math things. And so I, I just see this as really exciting opportunity. And, um, and so 
uh, we do have some cards out uh, at the information desk. The, the laptop with the whole environment uh, is also there. It's in French, so you'll have to brush up on your, uh, your elementary or junior high or high school French lessons. Uh, and, uh, and there are different uh, sort of dollars associated with all, of, like for instance, a deep cycle battery, it's $400. A solar panel is $200. And, and there are those opportunities either individually or if people want to get together with their small group and do it. Uh, it's just an opportunity. We're doing this either way, but it's an, it's an opportunity, uh, you know, as we are taught that we need to, you know, not worship money. Uh, we, we have two things. First of all, we have to, you know, make sure that we're addressing any credit card debt and making sure that we've taken care of that a la uh, Good Peace Financial Workshop. Uh, I think the second thing is we also have a responsibility to do normal tithes. And once we have those two things in place and we start to see some of the fruit in our life coming manifesting itself in surplus, this is where that opportunity gets to present itself. And, you know, I have to say that every time I have touched Haiti, two things, I've had to go beyond myself, things that I could not do on my own, God needed to show up. And, you know, I go back to on that patio when those young, the, the business professionals meet once a month uh, to pray as a prayer breakfast for, to pray over the country of Haiti and this, I was telling this young business person, like, wow, you know, like, we've seen a lot of miraculous things. And he said, miracles are common in Haiti because life is too difficult to depend on ourselves. And so that has stuck with me deeply over the years, and, and I believe it to be quite true. I think uh, the, uh, Brandon's citing of Colossians uh, 3.23, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. You know, in all of this, just trying to sort of, you know, I pray that we have the humility to say, no, this is, we're, we're here because of God. We're doing this because of God. This is why we're doing this. And in an effort to, you know, bring the kingdom to Haiti in a place that needs it so badly. It's not that people don't have God. People do have God there. But they need people who are of God to come and to help them address some of their issues. And I think this is one uh, fun opportunity to engage in that. Uh, so if we could just do a quick prayer. I just wanted to, uh, I was circulating an email uh, and, and Karen, one of the elders, you know, said, you know, what, you know, what, what do we need to be praying for? And, and, and I appreciated that. And I just want to share some of those things that uh, uh, are in the form of a prayer now that we can sort of hold up. And I would ask that you would continue to do that over this next week. So, uh, so Lord, we, we come before you today and we, we pray for the country of Haiti, the people and the leaders. Lord, we just ask that that the leaders would not be in it for themselves. Help them to go beyond that and to do the right thing for the country of Haiti. Lord, we ask for your prayer, for your, uh, your power to the Leger family, all that they care about. They want so much for the people of Haiti to, to be able to find their way, to provide for their family, and to have an easier way of it. I pray for, ask your prayers for the, uh, the welder 
Boss Claude, who's going to be doing the welding of the rack that we're going to have to have installed so that the solar panels are not only aimed at the sky, but they're protected from steel, uh, being stolen. For the electricians that are going to be doing the wiring, Arias and his team. The school administrator and the teachers. That the people who are going to leverage this tool to enrich the lives of the kids would have your wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. And for Timothy, one of our liaisons with a school administrator with political aspirations, Sarah Riley, a friend of the church and former member of the church, thinks he'll be president one day. Protect him. Lord, we ask all of this in your name and that you get the credit. Thanks, Scott. Let's give a round of applause for all the stuff that God's doing. In, our, in the country there, and uh, it's been so cool to see uh, just, you know, the little pieces that we can play a part in. So, man, all those things are out there for you to take a next step in if, if God's calling you to that, um, and uh, you'll be able to see just really easy ways to do that. The whole project costs about 15 grand or so, and so we're going to be uh, just funding that as, as, as necessary. So, man, we'd love for you to uh, participate in that. So the way we cure, um, the way we cure competitiveness is, is that we, not only are we under the name of Jesus, but we're also serving in the name of Jesus. We do this in people as we ask God to give us opportunities for them to take steps into the kingdom. We do it through places as we uh, bring the kingdom of God to earth and bring shalom to all whole, and wholeness to, whole, to the whole area uh, that we're in. Lastly, a cure for competition if you find yourself competitive today, if you're like me. Um, the third way is through relationship. The last little piece of um, the last little piece of this story here is in verse 17. Look at it, it says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Verse 18 says, yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Isn't that mind-blowing that, that Jesus would, would remind them that their competency is not what they should be rejoicing in? I mean, and this is no big deal. Like, this isn't like a, a, just a small deal, right? I mean, like, the, the evil spirits are obeying them. Weird. But he says, I want you to rejoice, not in your competency. I want you to rejoice in your intimacy. And I want you to rejoice in the, in the fact that I know you. He even says this again in Matthew 7, where he says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. It's always a verse that keeps me centered during Lent. Because in my competitive spirit, I want to show the world that I'm, that I'm absolutely strong. And that my world is put together by me because that's how great I am. But if we want to, compure, if we want to cure this competitive spirit, we have to understand when we're under the name of Jesus. We serve in his name. 
but we rejoice in our intimacy with Jesus and our service overflows from a relationship with him. Are we tracking this morning? See, this is so crucial in, in, in the story because what we do is we find ourselves constantly wondering whether God is pleased with us. We always wonder that. God, I just want God off my back. Or maybe for you, you're just like, I just want to be, I just, I just really want to have some hope. Sometimes I talk to people that are, are in recovery and they're just saying, you know, I follow Jesus because he's the only person that's given me true hope. And, and I think about that story for us and I, I think, man, if we could actually serve, if we could actually rejoice, not just in our competency, but rejoice in our intimacy, how much more will we see God do in our church, in our region, in our places, in our time? How much more could we do if we were people of intimacy and then over, that allowed that to overflow into competency? So for you, where's your heart today? Lent is this opportunity where we can look at the gaps just and understand that God doesn't love us because of what we do, but loves us because we are his people. And so maybe let this, maybe let this phrase heal you this morning. Jesus is pleased with you because he knows you. Jesus is pleased with you. Not because you did something for him, but because he knows you.